see you? Uh, we're, we're dealing with COVID month. Are we into month 10 yet? Month nine, I think. I don't know. Uh, this thing started, the, fir- the first beginning of it in public sphere was, I think, March the 10th. First time the, the governor called for um, mitigations, the word of 2020. Wonder what the word of 2021 would be. It better be kingdom come. All right. Um, thank you for your support and giving. If, you, if you're still, uh, we, we finished the first six months of our fiscal year and December is always a time where we find out where we are. Uh, the, the reality is that you're being very generous. Thank you, very faithful. Imagine this, nine months of, uh, of no really substantial outreach because you don't get a lot of new people coming in during a time like this. Uh, and yet, the giving of our church, where we were having over 500 on the weekends, um, to where we're having 100 to 120 on the weekends, has held up. And guys, we're within $10,000 of last year's giving. So thank you. Thank you. You guys are faithful people. People who give, yeah, go ahead and give yourself a hand. People who give do it by principle, not by convenience. And uh, there's an avenue where you can give if you want to. Uh, we will be distributing our mission offering uh, that we took uh, and giving you some reports on that stuff uh, as uh, we close out the 2020 books. A lot of you, by the way, had good years in 2020. People got married, people got jobs, people got new homes. People had babies. Uh, People spent quality time together that they had never spent before. People got their habits broken that were obsessing their life and built some new ones. There's some some redemptive things that happened in 2020. All right. But I want a time of refreshing Acts chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, turn there. If you don't, I got one for you. As usual, Acts chapter three is that moment in time. And by the way, I've been, I usually preach through books of the Bible. 2021, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach inspirationally. God speaks to me, I'm gonna speak to you. Is that okay with you? That's pretty much what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna also do some history stuff. Uh, and there'll be some history in this morning and forget about it. I'm going to talk about the culture, the government. I'm, I'm going to stress people out. It's just all there is to it. All right. Times of refreshing. Acts chapter 2 was outpouring of the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you are a guest, and we have a few guests here, there are cards in the seat backs in front of you that you can get and fill out and leave it on a table in the back. If you want to be found, if you don't want to be found, just do what you're doing and, put, and you know, do it. It's all right. Um, New Life City is a, is a spirit-filled, word-based church. New Life City is a church that's focused on uh, constant revival. We want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on every generation. Acts 2 can't be repeated, but people who aren't filled need to be filled. People who aren't saved need to be saved. People who haven't been touched by God need to be touched by God. People who haven't encountered him intimately and powerfully need to encounter him. I'm not into simply informing your mind, I want transformations of our lives. This is the word of God. This is the book. This is it. You don't have to wait for somebody to help you find him. He's looking for you. You can meet with him. You can open his word and dive in. You can eat and drink. You won't get through, you won't get through many days without eating and drinking. Why do you think you can get through days without eating and drinking living water and, and, and food that's for real? All right, that's enough. That's a little chide. Here we go. Now, Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. That is to say that after the day of Pentecost, they continued to walk in their faith. Uh, at the ninth hour, three in the afternoon. 
And a man came, for, uh, a man lame from birth, eyes, uh, being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate, so that he might, at the gate of the temple, that is the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and seeing John, About to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, "Hmm," as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Okay, that's your commission for 2021. What? Come here, pray, Walk out there, live, talk, and move in a way that says to people, look at us. And do it in such a way that, that, that like the man standing at the gate called beautiful, they will expect to receive something. I have something to give. It is not from me, but it is in me. It is not of me in origination, but it flows through me in destination. And it's for you. And you are, you are the living bread of God out there for others. It's time for us to, behind our mask, say to the world, look at us. And not be worried about it. Something's about to happen. Remember the day of Pentecost has come. Remember, Jesus said, don't go, don't go, don't go until, until, until. And guess what? When until arrived, they knew they could go. They didn't get it all. Be honest with you, uh, God still had to treat them like the eagle treats its young and kind of kick them out of the nest a few times. wonder if 2020 was about kicking us out of the nest. I'm going to just lean into this a little bit more. 2020 destroyed a lot of people in their soul. Listen. If you got destroyed in your soul, it's because you fed your soul on destruction. Anyone who feeds their soul on life will live. Anyone who feeds their soul, who drinks living water will live. Anyone who allows, listen, you are, you are sovereign in one place. You, you're a sovereign in your thoughts. No one can rule your mind but you. Because God is saying, look at me. This is, you remember Jimmy Valvano when he had cancer and he got up there on the ESPY Awards and he gave that speech about what cancer couldn't do and how inspired everybody got. If you don't remember it, go look it up. It'll inspire you still. Jimmy Valvano was an amazing basketball coach. And he said what cancer can't do, it can't destroy your, it can't destroy your love. It can't destroy your heart. It can't destroy, it can take your life. Hallelujah. But it's limited in what it can do. All right. We got some issues for the days and years ahead. Stress time. Check your stress meter. We got issues for the days and years ahead. By the way, as you and I opened this service, Congress opened for 2021 at the hour. There's questions that need to be answered. And I'll promise you that in the, in the, within, the, within 30 days, people are going to be asking serious questions about the role of prophecy in churches. 100% they're going to do it. Why? Because prophets have been prophesying about this election. So, so no, matter, no matter what happens on Inauguration Day, which gloriously is on January 20th. I like January 20th. I'll be telling you about January 20th for a couple of weeks. Whoever's inaugurated, we're going to ask questions. If 
Yeah, it is an interesting thing. You guys all, you know, if you live in a world where everybody thinks everything's decided, well, that's interesting. But we actually, we actually know that things aren't actually decided yet. It's not decided until it's done. And this week, on the on the sixth, is when Congress will count the elector votes. However, this thing goes, people are going to say, "Well, what about prophecy?" If the prophets are wrong, people are going to say, are they false prophets? Is prophecy reliable? Does prophecy play a role in our day? If the prophets are right, people are going to be saying, they're going to be catching their breath. We're all going to be asking this, what role does prophecy play in relationship to Scripture? I got some very strong feelings about all those questions. As they're needed to be answered, I'll answer them. I'll talk about them. Um, as it is now, here's what, here's what I say and continue to say. Let God be true and every man a liar. If there's anything I'm worried about that nowadays, it's the truth. I'm worried about the truth. I'm worried about people not being able to believe the truth, not being willing to receive the truth, not being able to hear the truth, not being willing to hear the truth. Not telling the truth. I'm worried about people not believing the truth when they, when they speak narratives that say that the police are hunting down black people in the streets. Is that true? Does the evidence back it up? I'm equally worried by people saying, we know there was election fraud. Is that true? Does the evidence back it up? And I'm finding that people who make those claims are in exactly the same position. I'm ferocious for the truth. I want the truth if it contradicts me. I want the truth if it contradicts you. Truth matters more than anything else, the truth. Pray for your nation. Our nation is lost in regard to truth-telling. And truth-telling is necessary for us to have unity. You don't believe that? Just check it out in your own family. The person who lies in your family divides the family. The person who lies in your family undermines the unity of the family. The person who lies in your family causes you to act in ways that's based on false information. So I'm telling you, love the truth. Care about the truth. Be passionate for the truth. We got issues coming, the conflict over our constitutional republic. America, America is a nation like no other nation. It's true. It's an incredible, amazing nation. And don't make a mistake. There is a vast array of people in our nation who are done with the constitutional republic because it came from a white patriarchy, among other reasons. I can, my wife's not here, but I can feel her stress. I had that told to me from my own family member. Seventeen seventy six, the American Revolution. Out of that American Revolution came a constitution. Unfortunately, most people don't know don't actually know the Constitution because, because we're more determined to educate people on diversity than we are about the fidelity of telling the truth about our Constitution. Read the Federalist Papers. Just read the Constitution for crying out loud. Read the Bill of Rights. Is it, is it the Bible? No. No. But the Bible, and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Enlightenment thinking combined to produce that document. And that document has provided, when people say make, make America great again, what they really mean is let's live up to our constitution. That's really what they mean. That's what I mean. The reality is we have a long history where we have a constitution that's been better than our ethos. And our nation's been called into alignment with its constitution. And the question is, do we keep our constitution or do we discard it? 
There was another revolution in 1789. The American Revolution produced this. The French Revolution, it lasted, uh, it lasted only 10 years because Napoleon came, on, came along and said, we've had enough of this. The French Revolution produced the leftist ideology that is, that is um, running amok in our world. It's everywhere. Don't worry, I ain't staying on this long because I got some Jesus stuff to talk about. But I'm telling you, I'm stirred up about this. We're in the midst of a, of a leftist revolution where um, the left-wing thinking has decided it was willing to take the long march through our institutions. And, and your, your, your institutions have been occupied by leftist thinking. Now, what I'm going to call you to is what I called you to last week, your family, your family. Your family is your discipleship. Your family is where you, where you get to say what comes into them. You are the parents of your family. I want you to know in a left-wing revolution, your, your children are not yours. They belong to the state. And that debate is, is, is the undertow in our world. Hallelujah. Number three, the place of religion in the battle for social justice. What do I mean by that? First Amendment promises freedom of religion, but social justice is telling us that the freedom of religion, the freedom of the press, and the freedom of the speech is in the way of social justice. And that's a debate that's going on in our country. Figure it out. It's happening. It's real. It's real. Let me tell you something else. It doesn't matter how that debate comes out as to who we are called to be. We might be, it might be our season to walk out of the temple and be like Peter and John and be people who live in a world obedient to Jesus who then, because what you're going to see happen to them is the authorities come and say, who do you think you are? You can't do that here. And forbid them to do it again and just for good measure beat them. Maybe that'll be the case. One thing's for sure. That'll prove who can walk on water. Number four, the hope for revival of our faith. One of the underlying stories of American history, what I'm going to go into in the next few weeks, is the underlying story of this, of this river of constant revival. Now, I hear my apostolic leaders all talking about they're hoping for a, for a third reformation. I think we've already had, I mean, a third awakening. I think we've already been through four. And I ain't worried about the debate. It's not a debate I want to win, but it's things that I can point out to say to you that constantly in America, there is this wave of the revival of spirituality and revival of knowing, knowing God. And I'm living for it. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold. If you're new here, that's what I do. I just change the course right real quick. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Took him by the right hand, raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him. Walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder at what had happened to him. Whoo! How many, have you, ever, have you ever seen the lame walk? One. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you something about that. I've seen, I've seen a, a lot of miracles happen. I've seen, I've seen blind people get their sight, deaf people get their hearing. I've seen a lot of miracles. I've seen fevers broken miraculously immediately. I've seen a, a number of, you know, just all kinds of things, right? But I want you to know, there's probably nothing that's ever quite like when somebody is carried into a meeting and they walk out. By the way, if you if you want to see some testimony, that go up to Chimayo. 
You can say whatever you want to, but the place is filled with crutches and wheelchairs that stayed. <laughs> anyway, I'll just never forget the time I was in Brazil. What you, you, what you won't forget, you won't forget what all of a sudden happens. It was a, it was a couple thousand people in this big room and uh, Randy Clark was ministering and we were, but we were at the time of praying for the sick and all of a sudden you heard this, <laughs> because I love this dude, here comes this dude that he couldn't walk and all of a sudden he's up and walking and you, like, you want to talk about a crowd parting? And it just rumbles. It's, a, it's the natural wave. <laughs> that happened. God was with him. And the miracle happened. Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, I ain't gonna lie to you. I, 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 see, I see more people not healed than I see healed. But some is better than none. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? That's the secret. That's the secret. You want to heal the sick? Figure out that you can't do it. And when it does happen, be as astonished as the crowd is and deflect the praise as, as much as they do. And when people deflect the crowd to you, deflect the praise to him. And when people want to honor you, honor him. I don't care what it is in life. Anyone wants to honor you, honor them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm tempted to, I'm tempted to say stuff I don't have permission to say. Hold your, I always, I, it's a thing that happens to me. It does happen. We're powerless, guys. We're powerless. But listen, the season of refreshing is when Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Jesus had told him. He had told him. He was so clear with him. He told him. He says, he says, wait till the Holy Spirit comes on you and then go. They went. Holy Spirit came. The outpouring started and then they could preach. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Now listen, just, just for the record. Who's this preaching? Oh, let's, let's get this, come on, let's get this all straight. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glor, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Seems like to me, Peter had the same kind of an appointment with that kind of anxiety. Is he a hypocrite? No, he's rescued, he's redeemed. He's pulled from the fire. Peter did a little denying, didn't he? And he's now he's saying to them, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. And then listen to what he says, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. And I'm gonna say it again. Peter denied Jesus and then Jesus rose from the dead and Peter goes, whoops. <laughs> so I'm, I'm telling you this because Peter is not trying to foment anger at them. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. 
like my Bible because my Bible walks right through the mess of our lives. Walks right through the mess of their own lives. Look what it says. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God and Father, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. You might want to take your communion elements in your hands. He glorified his servant Jesus. In the history of revival in America, communion has played an interesting role. I'll take you through some of that in the next few weeks and as we'll talk about it. Um, but the communion has always been the most controversial act that Christians perform. Sharing the communion has always been, and if you're, not, if you're new to these things, there's two little flaps. One of them uh, opens up the, and I'm actually having to tell this to myself because usually I have a cup. Um, opens up the, the top so that you can access the bread. And the other one, the cup. And so there are liturgies. And by the way, you're not compelled to take this. You're invited to take this. Hallelujah. Nobody's having more trouble with it than I. I'm all right. Don't worry. I'm all right. The God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus. You remember Jesus? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's how he spoke of his death. Remember Jesus speaking to Nicodemus? As the serpent was lifted in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. All through John, Jesus speaks of his suffering, his passion as his glory. Why is it his glory? Well, 2,000 years later, 2 billion people on earth call him Lord. And he says, one day, all will. Jesus was glorified when he dealt with our sin through his suffering. Jesus was glorified when he told them, you have to eat my flesh. And they recoiled at it naturally as we should because they didn't understand it. But he was inviting them to receive the life that he was living on earth. And he was telling them that the life he was living was their life to receive. Christianity is about forgiveness. And Jesus bore in his body on the tree our sins. And so the body of Christ is given for us. Let us receive. One of the controversies of the Supper was who is qualified to take the supper. Long ago, I settled on this. No one is. We're not qualified, we're invited. And so Jesus poured out his life and shed his blood and became a sacrifice for sin. The blood of Christ, God's only son, in his blood is our forgiveness. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We receive. Amen. At the time of the great awakening, At the time of the Great Awakening, the Lord's Supper was treated as an evangelistic moment because um, Jonathan Edwards' grandfather, who had seen about six 
like many outpourings of the Spirit in his congregation. He taught that, that, in, that coming to Christ was, was receiving him. And so sometimes I actually warn people, if you receive this bread and you receive this cup, you're entering into covenant with Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. There's no, remember how we always invite Jesus into our life? Well, if you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you're inviting him. You're bringing him into your life. That's the miracle of it. All right. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for murder to be granted to you and you killed the author of life, author of life, whom God raised from the dead and, we, and to this we are all witnesses. Truth, they were living on the truth. And notice he said, we are all witnesses. The biblical standard for truth is more than one witness. The biblical standard for truth is not somebody claiming something it's multiple witnesses attesting to something. <laughs> Hallelujah. Of course, then they tried to impeach them. To this, we are witnesses in his name, by faith in his name, has made the man, the man whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, and there's all that was introduction. But don't worry, you know, all the pitches before the home run are introduction. And it's over pretty quick when the home run's hit. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. By the way, as did Peter. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Who needs a time of refreshing? Well, I do. But let me tell you something else. Your carriers. I've heard enough about asymptomatic carriers of a disease. I'm, car I'm a carrier. I'm a carrier of what's in me. I'm a carrier of what I've received. I'm a carrier of Jesus. <laughs> now look, repent. What does that mean? Get your mind right. You've got some stinking thinking. Get your thinking out of the garbage. Get your thinking out of the fear. Get your thinking out of the destruction. Get your thinking out of despair. Repent and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. This is Peter talking to covenant Jews. And he's saying to people who are part of the family, repent. What, repent about what? About this Jesus. Change your thinking. You denied him. You turned away from him. Now I'm gonna give you an opportunity to turn to him. And when you do, a time of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. All right, revival is times of refreshing. I'm so glad I've lived in a revival. Whether you, but most, mostly it's kind of interesting because you, you can almost not know you're in it because if you're, if you're like in it, it's normal. Until you're not in it and then it's not normal. But here's what happens. In revival, the things that are impossible become easy. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. In revival, the things that formerly you never saw People getting re remarkably transformed becomes easy. For me, it's often been rare enough that, you know, the thoughts of it are, are, are pretty strong. Back when I first came to the city, um, I was in the Baptist church. And we did a mission trip to May Hill, New Mexico. Who knows May Hill, New Mexico? Let me see a hand. Not a living soul. Hallelujah. And we, we took 60 people from our Baptist church down to a little country church down in Mayhill. How many of you know Cloudcroft? It's just down the road from Cloudcroft. And uh, 
Man, you should have seen me. I was heavier then than I am now, and I was standing on a roof, hammering nails. It was wrong. But at night, we would have a revival service, and I'll never forget it for one reason, and that was that that um, a couple, George and Gladys Davidson, came to the revival, came down to help with the with the work. And George was uh, he was a church member. I mean, he'd been in church. And uh, you know that old thing about being a church member doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. And and uh, and I preached I preached that night, and I never forget it because I, listen I was a new pastor and we were on a new mission trip. Most of these people I was just getting to know, and down the aisle to answer the invitation to Jesus comes George. And I could hear the gasp of the people because they all knew that, that George was, uh, you know, what he was. And that guy, he was, he was whiter than I am. That sucker grabbed me. Did I say sucker? That guy grabbed me. I want to give myself to Jesus. And he did. I want you to know that guy was so mean, his dog would go to the bedroom when he came in the house. That guy, that guy, <laughs> ants wouldn't bite him. And, and when Jesus transformed his life, he became honey from the honeycomb. Gladys thought, Gladys thought she was divorced and remarried. <laughs> That's what Jesus wants to do. And listen, there's a religion out there converting our children. It's no, it's no joke. When you hear about wokeness, wokeness is a religious conversion. If you hadn't heard it, then I'm sorry. You're, well, no, I'm not sorry, but I hear, hear it everywhere. And now that we're challenging people who, wokeness is the political awakening of, the, of oppressed and oppressor. Wokeness is, a, is, is, to have a, ha, is to have an understanding that you're living in an oppressive patriarchy and you have to overthrow it. Hallelujah. By the way, patriarchies are supposed to be fountains of blessing. I'm supposed to be a source of blessing. Hallelujah. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. What God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back. A lot of people say, why are you reading scripture over again? Because it matters more than what I say. That your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. A refreshing of the Holy Spirit is when a group of people are so connected to God that his presence is all that arrests them and that his presence is so thick that I said last night, hard things, impossible things become easy. How many of you have heard of the Asbury Revival? There you go, now I'm getting somewhere. Got a, got a Methodist in the room. Asbury College has had a series of revivals over the year. One of the most notable ones was 1970. It was so notable, it made the national news. What happened was they went to chapel one day and the, and the, the leader of the school, who wasn't the president, he was the president's assistant, was supposed to preach. And he got up and said, I feel like the Lord has laid me aside that I shouldn't preach today because what God is doing in our midst is more important. And people began to get up and confess their sins, students. And, the, and that service, that chapel service that started went on without break for 144 hours. Lyman Coleman wrote a book about it called One Divine Moment. 
And it was a moment when the presence of God was so great, no one wanted to leave. When the presence of God was so great, confessing your sins is easy. When the presence of God is so great that you could get transformed. And they were so aware of what was happening, they decided to make a list of the 10 least likely people on campus to get touched by the revival and to pray, asking God to touch every one of them. And he did. I wish I was there. Times of refreshing, that's revival. But no, listen, here's what, here's what I got to do. I got one assignment. I'm supposed to be a carrier of it. Because listen, am I going to be a carrier of, of an offended religion of guilt and innocence that calls groups of people good people and, and other groups of people bad people? Am I going to become a carrier of, of an offense that allows me to go into the streets and with impunity to loot and burn and have officials that protect me rather than stop me? Am I going to become a carrier of that? Or am I going to become a carrier of a kingdom that is so transformative that, that people's, that their worst thing can become the frame of their testimony of his glory. I'm supposed to be a carrier. All right, so hurry now. I got to hurry. I hadn't hit the home run yet. The first great awakening was led by Jonathan Edwards, as I've told you. But his grandfather laid a tremendous foundation for it. And when Edwards took over his grandfather, he took over his grandfather's church at his grandfather's death. And um, I'll, I can't wait to tell you a little bit about him. But now I just want to tell you one thing. He married really well. He married a woman named Sarah. Jonathan Edwards was, was 20 years old and a student about to graduate. <laughs> and a girl came to his attention, the daughter of another minister. Now, just so I can scandalize you, when his eye fell upon her, she was 13 years old. I know. I know. I thought that too. And then I went off on vacation and my 13-year-old granddaughter showed up and I went, what happened to her? Right? So, but the arresting thing about Sarah was not her passage through life transitions. Listen to what he said. He decided to write a letter concerning her. And here's how he wrote it. Somewhere around, around the time of the great, before the great awakening, which was before 1733. They say there's a young lady in New Haven who is beloved of that almighty being. And the one who made the, the rules and the world and that there are certain seasons in which this great being, in some way or other, invisible, comes to her and fills her mind with exceeding delight. And that she can hardly care for anything except to meditate on him. And that she expects, after a while, to be received up where he is and to be raised up out of the world and caught up into, he into heaven being assured that he loves her too well to let her remain at a distance always. She's 13 years old and she's, got a, she's having mystical experiences with God. There she is to dwell with him and to be ravished with his love. We sang about that and delight forever. Therefore, if you present all the world before her with the richest of its treasures, she disregards it and cares not for it and is unmindful of any pain or affliction. She has a strange sweetness in her mind and a singular purity in her affections and is most just and conscientious in all her actions. And if you, you could not persuade her to do anything wrong or sinful if you would give her all the world lest she should offend this great being. 
She is of a wonderful sweetness, calmness, and universal benevolence of mind, especially after those seasons, after those seasons in which this great God has manifested himself to her mind. She will sometimes go about from place to place singing sweetly and seems to be always of joy and pleasure and no one knows for what. She loves to be alone and wander in the fields and on the mountains and seems to have someone invisible always conversing with her. She was 13. At 17, he married her. Just to get the scandal off of it. At 17, he married her. And Jonathan and Sarah Edwards became the parents of 11 children. All of their children, none of their children in that time of great infant mortality died. They, they, all, they all lived to see adulthood. But he's talking about her and he's talking about how she's carrying an experience with God. Now listen, I'm telling you this because she wasn't waiting for a revival to get touched. She was waiting for him. And I'm telling you, revival comes when God's presence can be so born in someone's heart that it overwhelms the pain, the fear, the temptation, the anguish. It casts out COVID panic and isolation and allows you to be filled with company and always happy. And that's why, listen, this year, as hard as it's been, for some people it's been a delight because they've been able to retreat into the presence of God, retreat into the voice of God, retreat into, into the sweet place. Find it, find it, find it. Because revival dwells in those who find it. And I'm as convinced now that what God did in the great awakening, he had awakened in Sarah even before in Jonathan. Hallelujah. I think there's a book about them called An Uncommon Union. I'll tell you more about them, but I'll especially tell you what happened to her on 20th of January, but that'll wait. I'm almost finished. I've gone a little longer today and I've intended to. Now listen to what it says. Repent therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive, he ascended, until the time for the restoring of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now I want to tell you something. Every form of government on earth wants to bring the restoration of all things. Underneath every form of government lies this belief that if that form of government can be fully established, that peace can come on earth. They all say it. They all claim it. They all believe if the authority and rule comes to them, it's there. This is why, as much as I love our constitutional republic, it has a limit. It can't produce the restoration of all things. Only the one who came from the grave can produce the restoration of all things. He may send Jesus appointed. So go out of here with these two words. God wants to give you times of refreshing and God intends to bring the restoration of all things. God wants to bring you a time of refreshing and God is, has appointed a time for the restoration of all things, which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And somebody would say, he did? Oh yes, all the prophets did this thing wherein uh, they... Uh, the, all the prophets did this thing wherein they were prophesying and then all of a sudden they started talking in a way that made you go, what? We read about it last week. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, Isaiah 11, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion, the, the, the fatted calf together and a little child shall lead them. 
the cow and the bear shall graze and their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the winged child shall put her hand on the adder's den and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. And God says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It will be done. It will be done. It will be done. Stand together. I'm almost done. Stand together. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers and you shall listen to him and do whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days, you are the sons of the prophets. And the covenant that God made with your fathers saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Hallelujah. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Y'all just noticed that I didn't finish, but I quit. So this morning, if there's pain in your body, especially your feet or your ankles or your knees or your hips, since we're talking about the lame walking, let's pray for people to get healed and be mobile. So if any of that is true of you in a minute, when I give the call, I want you to come forward. More than that, if you've been suffering from a lameness of soul that's put you down on the mat and you can't get up, I want you to know that God has a time of refreshing. He's gonna change your mind. That's what repentance is. And he's gonna bring the refreshing power of his Holy Spirit on you. If you don't know Jesus, if all this talk that I'm doing, it sounds like craziness, but somehow it sounds like compelling craziness, then you wanna, you wanna actually surrender your life to him. If you didn't do it in the communion, you'll do it in the prayer. You'll say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I want you to be my Lord. I wanna walk with you. I give myself to you. So when I call for people to come for prayer, I want you to come also. Holy Spirit, would you come? You can begin to come if you need prayer. Just come on. Don't hesitate. It's for you. It's for you. Your heart is broken. God wants to touch you this morning. If your mind is on fire with trouble and fear and anxiety, with politics, Jesus wants to come and whisper into your ear. <laughs> 